This episode is sponsored by Mint Home Loans. With mortgage interest rates nearing all-time lows, now is the time to see what options you may qualify for. Make Mint Home Loans your trusted partner for all your mortgage needs. In today's times, your money matters. Shop local with Mint at 410-458-6847 for any home loan questions you may have. Welcome to Life's Tough. You can be tougher. I'm Dustin Plantle, your host. This is a show about life and purpose. It's about the stories we all have. Everyone, when you think about it, well, they have a story. Our guest today, Dr. Craig Wright, he has a story. Success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles which he has overcome. As we learned today from Dr. Wright, he's overcome Asperger's and he's gone on to become one of the most successful individuals in the blockchain and cryptocurrency space. We caught up with Dr. Wright and recorded him remotely. We hope you'll enjoy the show. We'd like to welcome on to today's episode of Life Stuff You Could Be Tougher, Dr. Craig Wright. Dr. Craig, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. And Dr. Wright, you are a man that has been in the world of cryptocurrency for quite some time. But before crypto began, you also had your own journey uh, in life. How did you, you know, kind of tell me about your story. How did you get into uh, deciding on the direction of business and what sort of school did you go to before you became a CEO? Okay, so there are two, uh, a few things there. Um, I used to be a CEO, not anymore. Um, I sort of was sane enough to let someone else uh, call that. Um, so I won't call it cryptocurrency because Bitcoin's not a cryptocurrency. E-gold uh, attempted to be a cryptocurrency, um, blinded things like show me and eCash were cryptocurrencies. The idea of the cryptocurrency is to leave no records, to be anonymous, uh, follows some of the work of Shawm and um, Timothy May, the cypherpunk ideal. Bitcoin is none of that. Um, it's a digital cash system. Now, it actually creates a digital cash system by doing the opposite of cryptocurrency and, and not being hidden. So many of those things that you hear came about because of the Electronic Frontier Foundation and a whole lot of misinformation campaigns. So it's just wrong. Um, before that, uh, fairly much the same as I do now. I work, I study, I invent. I just get better at what I'm doing. Uh, I am better at studying than I used to be because well, I just keep studying. I'm better at learning because of that, uh, which makes it better for actually doing inventions and uh, with the team and, and all that because it is a team effort. Uh, and have you always way. have you always been that way, Doctor? Right? Since you were like a, a young man or a younger version of you, have you always been an inventor? And did it come easy? Um, invention was the wrong word when I was young. I used to pull things apart and wreck them more than I invented anything. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, going back to early sort of like eight, nine type age, uh, I was into electronics and um, uh, building computers and all the rest. And 
Um, I got into quite a lot of trouble when I took components out of the television that I needed. And no one was terribly impressed. They, they weren't too impressed. And were you an only child or did you have any siblings? No, I have lots and lots of sisters. Lots of sisters. So you were the only boy okay. in the house, huh? Yes, that's correct. And single mother, you know, lots of sisters. Single mom. And, and what was that like for you, taking on the responsibility, uh, at least at some point of, all right, now you're, you're the man of the house. Um, what was that journey like? Uh, probably easier for me than my sisters. They had to put up with me. <laughs> they, they had to put up with you. And what were you, what were you like in the younger days? Were, were you pushed around? Were you told what to do? Or were you more firm of, I know where I want to go in life. I know the direction that I, that I believe my purpose is calling me. Um, I fairly much always had some sort of purpose. Um, yes, people tried to push me around. I ended up doing martial arts because of it. Uh, so, I mean, as a result, um, I ended up um, uh, refusing to be bullied. Uh, but um, that was a, a choice. Some people react one way. I reacted a different one. Um, I've always loved knowledge. I've always loved learning. I mean, um, uh, part of being uh, someone with Asperger's is you, you generally find people like myself focus on something. And mine has been a weird sort of uh, way of focusing on um, knowledge generally. Uh, I spend my life collecting information and, uh, and learning more. Sometimes rather weird things for the sake of learning weird things, but that's part of what I do. And, and what is it that excites you? I mean, when you're looking for a good book to read, I mean, right now around the world, we have this uh, pandemic still going on. <laughs> that what sort of books were you into? And what would you recommend for the person looking up to the stars and wanting more? Somebody that looks around them and says, there must be more to life. Oh, I'm a terrible one to, to ask about that. Um, I mean, I mean, a lot of my reading uh, is generally dictated by what I end up studying. So, I mean, at the moment, um, I'm doing a number of literature courses as well, and they focus what I'm, I'm learning. So um, in Australia, the, um, the course I'm doing there has a lot of Australian literature, but over here in England, it's more, um, more traditional. So uh, I'm doing a, uh, uh, English sort of course over here as well and um, I guess looking at things from Euripides and um, and the classical origins of, um, of, of literature to um, something more modern, Goethe and others but I mean it, it's really everything I can is, I, I guess I mean there are lots of things I find problematic but the thing is you don't actually know that something's problematic or or a waste of your time until you've read it. That, this is the problem I find. There are many things that I wish I hadn't wasted the time reading, but the problem is you can't tell that until you've wasted the time reading them. It's sort of a, a sort of yeah. dilemma. Yeah, that, that, that's an interesting way of putting it. So what have you found for, for you on your journey that has been the most impactful? I mean, as you get to know who you are and and living with Asperger's, I mean, I had Lou Ferrigno on the show, uh, and he talked about his own struggle that that people had made, uh, I, mean, I would say, <clears throat> certain expectations on him, and he beat those expectations. There are expectations that have been that have been put around Asperger's. You have knocked it out of the water, and what you've been able to achieve in your career. What do you think you attribute that to? Being told I couldn't. 
I had um, English teachers uh, who told me uh, I would never get anywhere and that um, uh, because I, uh, well, basically I, I was going to be a failure in, in um, sort of junior school. Um, so that in part spurred me. Some people would react to that the opposite way. In my case, I, I made this thing where I had to prove them wrong. Um, and um, so, I mean, like um, doing master's level uh, English is now higher than some of my teachers, but um, in part I did that to prove them uh, utterly incorrect. Like where they're sitting there going, you can't do that. Well, yes, I can. And I'm going to do it just because you said I couldn't. Yeah. And, and that was your fuel. I mean, many times on our journeys in life, you know, we try to find the fuel and some people say, mm. I, I don't have fuel. And yet I think that what from your side and my perspective as well, that you can use your own life experience, the people that said it can't be done or the people that didn't believe in you. But it must start with you believing in you first, that you must be the benchmark to am I pushing myself to my to my greatest potential? Have I met everything I'm capable of doing? And yet I find with you, Dr. Wright, that you have never said enough is enough, that I want to learn more. I want to push myself further. And so where do you go from here? Where do you see things heading ultimately in the world? More, uh, more knowledge, more everything else. So I'm approaching 50, which is still a decade away from uh, what the Chinese see as their sort of uh, seminal year at 60, where you should have achieved everything you want to uh, want to have achieved. But even then, I'm a little bit Confucianist uh, in that sort of aspect. And um, like Confucius, at, at 70 and 80, I still have to be learning. The fact of the matter is we have this schism between the arts and the sciences that I think is really problematic and I'd like to see that changed. I, I actually hear people in um, arts call for STEM learning, which is uh, the STEAM learning and, or um, science, technology, uh, engineering, arts and mathematics. And I agree with that one, but from a completely different view of what they actually see from someone who does both arts and science. I want to see more logical thought brought into humanities. Right now, we have a lot of people in humanities think that truth doesn't matter, that it's all relative. Now, if you start thinking about that, the, the actual premise of that falls apart very quickly. If all truth is, um, is basically relative, then we have the scenario where the statement you're making is relative. If you can't make that statement itself an absolute, which it can't be because you've said there's no such thing, then my statement, truth is relative, is relevant, uh, relative, which means it's relative apart from when it's absolute, which then becomes meaningless. I mean, it, it's, um, as I can't remember his name, someone used to say, uh, a philosopher, of course, it's not right, it's not um, not wrong, it's just nothing. So you're also a dad, Dr. Wright. What's that like being a dad in, in a world that just seems to get nuttier? The expectations seem to get harder. Um, and what do you do to, uh, I don't know, how do you, how do you keep, your play, keep your mind at a place where you see them when you're around them and you can, you can stay focused on them because the Ferrari in my head, and you're, you're giving me some advice, but the Ferrari in my head, can distract me at times from seeing things that are in front of me. I have a very good relationship with my wife who 
keeps me in check. That's the best <laughs> way to put it. Um, yeah, me too. She makes sure that I have um, sort of sufficient interaction and whatever else and, and don't just crawl into um, a corner of reading, studying and working 24 by 7. <laughs> so she says, come on out of the cave now. You're going to come back. Yeah, occasionally she drags me out and makes me interact. Yes. Oh, that's that, that's fascinating. Uh, and you've also been someone that's been able to travel around the world, you know, seeing uh, mm -hmm. some some exotic destinations. In your travels, what have you learned about people? This is one thing that um, actually quite annoys me in the arts and whatever else. We're becoming more and more divisive. Uh, the whole race concepts we're seeing now, race is bullshit. We have different cultures. There is more genetic difference between people who have red hair and the rest of everyone on earth than there is between someone who is black and white or Asian. And we don't like to look at these sort of things. So do we make redheads a new race? Do we have the ginger race? I mean, they're 2% of the population. Um, should we isolate them? I'm sure gingers um, would not be too happy if we treated them differently. So the simple thing is, why the hell do we, we, we keep this sort of um, divisive politics up? Uh, the reality is, um, it's it's all about achievement, isn't it? It's all about merit and developing things and virtue. So sitting there going, uh, either my race is an excuse or giving um, or saying you can't treat people that way because of race. Well, shouldn't we just be uh, colorblind? And I mean, uh, it now is being said that if you're race blind, that makes you racist. But Reverend King told us he wanted a world where he looked out and didn't see race. He didn't see black or white. Are we forgetting that? I mean, really, that, that whole scenario that people keep using right now is a world without any color. And so what? Your skin color is different. Yours is slightly different than mine. Your hair color is different. Um, you've got slightly different facial features than mine. I mean, really, is that where, where do we draw the determinant? Yeah, that's an interesting perspective because there are these cultural differences and genetic differences. And so now what's happening around the world is that the education system is now going to be re-educating the children and the future generations into some brand new movement that I believe in many ways does turn cultures against cultures. It turns people with genetic differences against other people with genetic differences as opposed to accepting accepting these changes or accepting these differences in people. Isn't sitting there and saying, well, they're um, from this ethnic background, so we need to treat them different, by definition, racist? It is. If one group owes another group, well, what is that? That we are not equals if one group happens to owe another group. And I think that is the struggle is, where do we where do we draw that line and then who gets to create the line well i think the best thing we we need to look at is going back to economics and the sort of fact is education creates positive externalities so everyone talks about the cost to society of educating people but the reality is by properly educating people we actually increase the value in society. We create human capital, not just for the individual, but for more. This is why it's actually a good idea to educate people. Why 
this whole forced education, as some people will call it, where we put three, uh, people through school is beneficial because it doesn't just help you as the individual, it helps everyone in society. It makes democratic processes work better. And of course, if you're not democratic, uh, you're going to say how terrible it is. It makes the uh, sort of level of violence in communities far less. It helps us integrate and understand one another. So rather than divisive uh, sort of policies, we should be looking at how, how do we educate people? I mean, this is the same really everywhere. Um, I mean, United States is the world hegemony at the moment. It, it's the hegemonic power. And part of what uh, everyone's forgetting is that actually comes with responsibilities. And when you go into Afghanistan, um, if you want people not to keep blowing you up, spend some of the money that you're spending on things that people want. Build roads, build hospitals. It's actually cheaper than many of the military systems that you're building. But if you start thinking about this, when you start educating people in these countries and you teach them, well, what does that result in? It, it makes people who are more likely to listen, to go into rational debate, etc. So, Now, that, that's great perspective. And why do you... Why do you believe that we do live in a world where, I mean, I'll turn, obviously being here in the U.S., you turn on the news and they're candidly trying to turn you against other countries. They're talking about other countries to automatically indoctrinate you to think that these other countries are bad. And go, I imagine not all the people there are bad people. Um, why do you think that is? And you've been around a couple more years than, than I have. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun. Why is it that we are turning countries against other countries, that we're turning, in essence, brother and sister against brother and sister? Again, it's not um, everyone, as you put, but it can be some people. And we're not really educating enough sort of to make the distinction. So we, we go to the lowest common, uh, common denominator. And that's really what you see in um, the way that media works these days. Going back to Nixon um, and then later Reagan, a lot of the controls in the US, which affected everywhere else on, on earth, unfortunately, uh, were removed around media. So if you think about the, the nature of how the media was in the past, it had to actually present both sides. It had to be depoliticized. Um, the rules were set up so that you had to be bipartisan which meant um, you had to actually go, this terrible stuff's happening. These guys think it's actually good. These guys think this is a problem. These guys think this is a... You had to go through all the different aspects. You couldn't just have one sort of focus like we're getting more and more now. And Facebook and other you know, things like Twitter are even uh, polarizing that further. So you now have custom sort of... Uh, just what I want to hear type things as news, which is anything but the truth. So, I mean, I make a, um, a big effort to um, ensure that I learn from every source I can. So um, I'm very not woke, but I go to a lot of universities that are incredibly woke and um, cause problems and and um, I'm sure lots of uh, lecturers would love not for me to be there. Um, and I, I attend classes and I, I do all sorts of things like this. Uh, but one, I don't do it expecting to bite and attack and whatever else. 
I do try and learn um, because one thing I've found is no matter how ridiculous someone may seem, they generally actually have some point that they're making and something valid. So I'm not a fan of people like um, uh, Keynes and some of his economic uh, sort of ideas, but he actually did have some good ideas. So a lot of, uh, as Frankfurt would say, bullshit, uh, but there were some good fundamental ideas in there if they were applied correctly. But people like Samuelson didn't apply them correctly. Then you have um, others, uh, like Virginia Woolf had a lot of really good ideas around femi uh, feminist sort of society, um, and she moved for uh, giving the women the vote and everything like that that was essential at the time. So there are even modern groups doing the same. And it's essential to know what is valid and not. The problem is when we sit there polarizing people and we, we have uh, sort of partisan politics, we don't really get at the issues. And someone might have a valid issue, but because they're not educated enough in how they can get that across to other people, we end up not missing what they're trying to say. And it could be that they have something valid that would actually be helpful. Um, but if we don't listen to them, we can't extract the good from the bad. That, that's a great way of putting it, uh, because I, I do find that, you know, we hear a lot of stuff coming in, I would say, and your mind is ultimately the filter. Do you question that information when it hits your head? Are you filtering to determine, does it make sense? Um, should you attack another group of people because they disagree? Where I, I tend to believe that it's okay to disagree with people. Um, and you can do it in a respectful way, say, well... I don't agree with you, but you feel what you feel. So you're married as I am. It's like mm -hmm. telling your spouse not to feel what they feel. Well, that's how they feel. But I, yeah. I don't think that we bring that into other areas of our life. It's as if I'm mm -hmm. the good guy and you're the bad guy, which now kind of oh, leads it into the next topic, uh, Dr. Wright, is in this world that we now live in this post-COVID or pre-COVID, whatever you want to call it, it environment, that there is a lot of fear and it is, well, you're the old dude. I'm like second oldest guy on the show right here. Um, our kids are now going to inherit all of this trauma and all of this dysfunction. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, it's not the first time, but um, hopefully it might make them grow up a little bit. I mean, the problem I'm seeing is um, we have way too many snowflakes out there. People saying, you can't say that. Of course you can say that. That's what free speech is about. You may not agree with someone, but um, don't just try and shut them down. Don't say, you're stupid, go away. Call the police in because, well, this person's saying something I don't like. Um, that's terrible. You're racist and a bigot because you don't agree with me. Well, no, listen. Um, one, you might actually change someone's idea. Two, you might learn from them. And three, we all have different values and and in some areas, there's no wrong or right. For instance, art. Art is something that has an emotional awareness that, that, well, I may like a piece of art and you may think it's utter crap. The reality here is that's not right or wrong. And to sit there go, I mean, I don't particularly like postmodern art. I don't like um, things like Warhol and, and the whole modernist movement on. I don't like cubism. Um, I mean, I think um, Picasso wasted his life because he was actually a talented artist who did crap. Uh, the only way I can put it. 
Um, I, I sort of uh, would stop at someone like Gauguin as, as far as I go. I mean, I, I, I mean personally, like uh, uh, Van Eck and Caravaggio and, and people like this. So, um, so I actually like that period, the Renaissance and then the Enlightenment, where it's not how terrible humans are, but how magnificent we can be when we apply ourselves. That's that that right there, because all we are watching right now across the globe is how bad people are. Uh, people carry diseases, don't trust them, keep six foot uh, six feet away <laughs> from them. That that who was a friend now they have to prove they're not going to get you sick. That we are now creating this this um, I don't know this wall around our species, <laughs> our, the, the humans. And what we are doing, it will ultimately create a new set of problems, will it not? Yep. I mean, how do we come back? How do we go back? Or what will the new norm be? Well, the new norm, the zeitgeist, will only be for a short time. It always is. Um, I mean, the 60s was completely different to the 70s, completely different to the 80s. The Reagan era just... Um, completely different with that. Then we had Smashing Pumpkins and the whole um, grunge uh, sort of scene. And um, so, I mean, one thing that is certain is every sort of generation just does something completely different. Um, at least we know that will continue. And let's talk about uh, virtual reality on, on blockchain. I interviewed a company recently uh, and they were talking about what they're, what they're building on blockchain around VR. I mean, is this stuff reality? Can it be done? And do you see a future where as if, because you've got a brilliant mind, that your mind can ultimately be, I don't know if the word is uploaded, because you're going to be able to, to tell me what it is. Do you see that happening? Um, uploaded, no. Uh, it's like artificial um, ignorance. Um, it's this great thing that people love to run around and use and say, I've got AI, or artificial ignorance, um, which is real ignorance, really. But the reality here is the brain's not a binary computer. And until we get past that little uh, sort of problem uh, and start realizing that it's actually far more complex, um, Roger Penrose has uh, a number of good sort of books and articles on this topic. Uh, the processing of the mind is far more complex than we like to admit, but we don't like to admit that we don't understand things. It's part of being human. We like to run around saying how, like in 1958, uh, Minsky and others all ran around saying, within two to five years, we're going to have solved artificial intelligence. Yeah, great, wow. that worked pretty well. Um, <laughs> here we are still going, in two to five years, we're going to solve artificial intelligence. Uh, same thing, yeah. We, we just forget, we've, we've got very short memories as humans. So uh, the reality is, we want to think we're simpler than we are, but humans are actually very complex things. I mean, we might have a big mush of wetware up there, but that mush is incredibly complex and it interacts more. It's our spinal cord, our uh, endocrine system, the whole lot integrating together. So we can't just sort of upload that. It sounds great, uh, but all this, we can just upload, it's a, sort of sci-fi dream that's been there for over a hundred years and we're about ooh, that much closer on a journey to the moon. So, Well, that, that leads me because I've been asking, I would say the, the people in my circle recently for the show, 
Will you go to outer space? Will you end up buying a ticket? Um, will, will you do it? Um, one day, maybe. But um, for what reason other than just to do it? Um, I'd actually like to see more of this planet before I worry about getting off it. I'd like to actually, uh, I was actually- That's actually a very, that's a very good point, by the way. I was meant to go to Antarctica this year, except um, all that looks like being dead. Um, it was meant to be the year before, apart from other things that came up. So one day I'll get down there. I actually plan to, to have a trip and, um, and see the last continent that I haven't been on. Uh, that, that, sounds, that sounds amazing. Mm. Yeah, so let's talk about what you're currently focused on, Enchain. Uh, talk about that. Mm -hmm. Um, well, some of that will come up when we have um, our sort of semi-virtualized CoinGeek week um, that we're going to be at. Um, but lots more inventions, lots more patents, lots of things I can't really talk about quite yet, a few weeks away. Um, uh, so I'm not going to let any cats out of the bag yet. All right, sounds like some exciting things in the work. And any advice you can give out there to, to young entrepreneurs that are on the fence? Should I, should I go out? and explore this idea in my head, or should I let it die? Um, as long as it's something that is obviously not daft, and uh, it can be daft, but there's a difference between obviously daft and, and daft, although some people would have told me my idea was obviously daft. Um, the reality here is, if you believe in something enough, then do it. And the Silicon Valley mentality of just pivot I actually think sucks. The reality is uh, most of the really great inventions haven't occurred because of just pivot. Um, you get Facebook and you get Twitter and you get um, uh, sort of TikTok when you just pivot because, oh, it's too hard. Let's do something else. Uh, so this promise of flying cars and all these other things that we don't have now, well, they're not here because everyone sits there pivoting and going for the uh, that's too hard. That'll take me like five years. Um, oh, I can run up an app in three months. Yeah. They want the immediate gratification of it. Exactly. And yet you have always looked at it for long term, that you want to create something that will last for generations to come. One that will be the legacy that you leave behind and that your children and my children will inherit. Mm. With that, Dr. Wright, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your story. Life's well, tough. Dr. Wright is tougher. Thanks again, Dr. Wright. Thank you. Thank you again, Dr. Wright, for joining us on the Lifestyle Podcast. Now, for all the listeners out there, my takeaway was legacy. You know, isn't that an interesting word, legacy? What will you be remembered as? Or what did you do with the life that was given to you? I ask you, no, I challenge you. Please think about your own legacy because you are writing it every day. Have a great week, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Life's tough. You can be tougher.